listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of Expand Your Horizons, the TEFL Horizons podcast. This week, our guest is Jackie Bolin. Jackie taught English in South Korea at private institutes and universities for over 10 years. She now lives in Vancouver, Canada, where she does some teaching, writing, and various online things, including running her two websites, eslactivity.org and eslspeaking.org. She is both CELTA and DELTA certified and believes in the value of communicative, interactive language teaching. She's particularly interested in using games in the ESL classroom, and she's published several games and activities books, which you can find on Amazon. In her spare time, Jackie is usually on the hunt for the most delicious kimchi she can find, which she says isn't that easy in Vancouver. So thanks for joining us today for our conversation on teaching in Korea and for some great advice on how to make your classes more fun. So let's get started. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me on your podcast. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. Yeah, you too. I'm excited about talking, uh, teaching English around the world with you. Me too, definitely. So to start, tell us a little bit about yourself. So where are you based? What do you do? All that good stuff. Uh, sure. So um, I taught English in South Korea for uh, just over 10 years, so about 10 and a half years. And um, I came back to Canada. I'm originally from Canada, but I came back to Canada around four years ago. So um, yeah, I now live in Vancouver. And then I also um, teach ESL here a little bit. Um, I have a couple students and then I've written a bunch of books and I have different websites related to teaching English. So that's kind of how I make my living these days. And um, teaching is kind of my part-time job. And then my full-time job is, is writing books and, and doing that. That's great. So these are books on teaching ESL, is that right? Uh, yes, correct. Yeah, I had, um, it, it all kind of started, I guess, back um, in Korea. And I just wrote a blog about teaching in a university um, in South Korea. And I was kind of the only one that blogged about it. And I think maybe I'm still the only one who ever has had a blog specifically about that. And it kind of became really popular. And my first book was about how to get a university job in South Korea, because I just kept getting a ton of questions from people uh, that were curious about it. And I just thought like, oh, I, I'm going to write a book and just answer all the questions in one place. Mm -hmm. And it kind of just became a little bit popular. It's less popular now because it's a few years out of date. But uh, back then I sold a bunch of copies and it was just kind of like, oh, people are interested in uh, this information that I have. So I started writing books about like um, English teaching activities and different kind of stuff like that. So most of my books are related to uh, teaching English in some way. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. And we'll definitely get into more about your books later on in our conversation. Um, sure. But first, let's back up a little bit and let's start with how you got into teaching ESL in the first place. So you mentioned that you started out in South Korea. Mm -hmm. uh, what made you decide to go to South Korea and what made you decide that you wanted to teach English as a second language in the first place? Uh, sure. So I went to a university and I studied uh, counseling psychology and mm -hmm. it's what I thought I wanted to do but I actually did a practicum in that area and I just 
I realized it actually really wasn't for me. Um, everyone I met was so stressed out and the pain was <laughs> I just was like, oh my God, this is going to be my life. And I'm going to yeah. be my life. And, I, and I, I, like, I guess I just saw the future and it wasn't going to be what I wanted it to be. So I decided to go to South Korea to teach English just for an adventure and to pay off some of my student loans. And I don't know, I just thought it would be like kind of a fun interesting experience so mm -hmm. um back then i guess that was about 15 years ago uh back then it was so easy to get a job in south korea um like honestly it was like a five minute phone interview and as long as you like are from uh, a certain country and have like a university degree just a little phone interview and they sent me a plane ticket in the mail and my accommodation oh, was wow. taken care of and it was like actually that easy to get get a job in korea through a recruiter but um, I was actually in more interested in Japan, but I would have had to fly to like Toronto or Vancouver or whatever to do in-person in interviews for some of the big mm -hmm. companies like Nova or, um, or Westgate or whatever. They all required in-person kind of interviews. So um, yeah, Korea's definitely tightened up their um, requirements. Yeah. And it's actually not that easy these days to get a job. Um, it's more similar to Japan in terms of the hoops you have to jump through. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, back then it was just so easy. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll just go to Korea. <laughs> it was like, I didn't honestly put that much thought into it. But um, yeah, I'm happy. And it all kind of turned out. I went there for a year and then um, I liked it and had quite a good experience. But um, I came back to Canada and went to grad school. And then the whole time I was in grad school, I just kind of missed. Mm -hmm. Korea. So I finished um, that and then went back to Korea and then got some university jobs, which are actually much better in, in terms of like vacation and pay and um, just kind of the overall teaching experience, I guess. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I love I feel like so many <laughs> teachers that I talk to who have made uh, this into a career, you know, this field of English language teaching into a career, it all starts out that they just sort of end up going somewhere. They think, oh, I'll just try this. And they don't put a lot of thought into it. And then they fall in love with it and it becomes their job forever. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yes. So you mentioned teaching in universities. And I know that's where a lot of your experience um, in teaching lies is in mm -hmm. university jobs. Um, so what can you tell us about that? Like if somebody specifically is interested in a university job, what should they know in terms of qualifications, requirements, any tips you have? Um, well, I, well, first of all, I would just say in South Korea, it's mm -hmm. a very coveted job and it's actually not super easy. So back when I got that job, same with like kind of the visa requirements and stuff, it was actually super easy to get a university job and they were just kind of like handed out to anybody like around. <laughs> but um, like, for example, some of my friends with only a bachelor's degree and like, say, one year of teaching experience got a university job. And it was like, it was a little bit crazy. And I was like, oh, my God, how did you get such a good job with like, yeah. no qualifications or whatever. But anyway, um, these days, it's super competitive. So at the bare minimum, you'll need a master's degree. Okay. And even just any old master's degree, like in science or the social sciences or whatever, is almost not good enough these days. It needs to be um, in something more specific, like English mm. or TEFL or education or just something like that, more closely related, I guess, to teaching English. And then um, also you'll want to have two years of experience teaching at a university. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, it's a bit of a catch 22. Like, how do you get the experience um, to get? Right. Job. But almost there's enough candidates in Korea 
people don't really leave those jobs that much. So it's kind of like there's a big pool of people that actually do meet that qualification, the master's plus two years. Mm-hmm. So the actual jobs that um, you can compete for without the two years experience is actually very small. So, uh, I mean, it's tough and it's like, it's kind of a case of who you know okay. in a lot of ways. Um, people will hire their friends and often the foreign teachers have a good degree of influence over who gets hired. So, um, yeah, networking and then... Unfortunately, things like the Celta and the Delta don't really help in Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my experience, I have both of those things, but um, my employers had no idea what it was. And I just was like, oh, the Delta is like quite a serious teaching quality. Yeah. But they just didn't, they were like, oh, what's the Delta? And like, just didn't know um, about it. So yeah, it's not that easy, honestly. Yeah, interesting. I have found, I think especially in higher education, like at universities, that's where it's kind of like, it seems that they only recognize other higher education institutes, like other universities. And mm-hmm. it seems that um, Celta and Delta are so much more recognized. I don't know, kind of more in the microcosm of teaching, like in um, private language schools, things like that, whereas mm-hmm. universities don't seem to be as familiar. Yeah. Yeah. That was my experience too. And mm-hmm. it was all it was the only real question I got was what experience do you have teaching university students? Um, so you could maybe slip in there if you taught high school students or you had been teaching like adults at a private institute, that's kind of like you're the second tier and maybe you can get a job based on that experience. So uh, yeah, it's possible, but that would definitely have preference over anything like the Celta or Delta in terms of hiring potentially. Okay. Do you think that teaching in another country in a university would help? Um, Unfortunately, it's usually two years in Korea Mm -hmm. um, is the strong preference. And there's not a lot of phone interviews in Korea. Um, I think there's enough people that are in country to fill those positions that, um, yeah, I worked at universities, I guess, for about nine years. And honestly, I only had one coworker who ever got hired via phone interview from China and she was crazy qualified, <laughs> like 20 years wow. experience, a master's in education. So it was kind of like, I think her resume was probably like way beyond mm-hmm. anyone else, which is why they probably gave her a phone interview. But yeah, everybody else got hired um, in person. So that's pretty standard. Okay. So any tips on teaching in Korea in general, even if it's not necessarily a university job? Um, I would say... Um, you have to do your research. Um, <laughs> probably if your, your listeners have been around the ESL world or teaching world for a little bit, they probably heard about uh, the term hogwan. So a hogwan is like a private language institute. So it's kind of like the Japanese cram school, but hogwan is the Korea version of that. And I mean, there's some great ones and there's also some really sketchy ones out there, like really, really sketchy, just um, in terms of like ripping you off and not paying you. and um, they have to provide housing usually, or they do provide housing, but living in some like moldy kind of like really just terrible place and like oh, taking your money for healthcare, but not signing you up for your healthcare, the national healthcare plan and all that kind of thing. So uh, before you take any job, definitely ask on a place like there's a um, ESL cafe, Korea forum, but that's not that active anymore. So kind of the new one is wayguk.org. Wayguk means foreigner in Korea. So W A Y 
G-O-O-K-Weigook.org. You can ask any question about that, like I'm considering ABC Language Institute in uh, Daegu. Does anyone work there? And you can also find the Facebook groups, like the Daegu English teachers or Chonan English teachers or just whatever city. So there's usually a Facebook thing. So go on there and definitely someone will know someone, if not themselves, working there. So they can kind of give you the, the rundown on, uh, yeah, if it's a solid school or, or ones to avoid. Great. Okay, that's really solid advice for people to, to look into things a little bit more because I know there are a lot of scams out there. Definitely good to avoid those. Yeah, and then also if there's like, um, on there's like, you know, some hog one blacklists and like teaching blacklists and that kind of thing. If the school is on there, even if it's a few years old, um, it's probably still the same owner. So the chance of it like actually turning around or like you thinking, oh, my experience will be different. Um, it probably won't be <laughs> that okay. different, quite honestly. I mean, <laughs> I'd probably avoid it because there's actually like so many good schools out there. So just kind of keep looking. and. Um, I wouldn't be the one that would give it a chance and just hope that it would turn around. Um, it might, but it also might not. So Better not to risk it. Yeah, exactly. Yes, from what I understand, there's still a, a pretty high demand for teachers in South Korea. Is that right? I mean, obviously, as we talked about, the university jobs are getting really competitive. But would you say for other jobs, private language schools, things like that, there's a pretty good chance for a decently qualified teacher to be hired? Uh, well, yeah, the, yeah, like university jobs are tough, but then also there's a lot of, um, historically have been a lot of good public school teaching jobs. So you basically work in the Korean public schools. Uh, but Korea has one of the lowest birth rates in the world, if not the lowest. Wow. Okay. So it's kind of like that. And that's been that way for the past, like say 10 or 15 years. So mm -hmm. that effect is kind of being seen throughout Korea these days and like elementary schools have started closing and then middle schools and high schools. So there's just fewer and fewer, I guess, school age students. So a lot of those kind of English teaching jobs have just been cut, basically have gone the way of, of the schools as they shut down. And then um, the previous president, I'm, oh, she might still be there. Sorry, I haven't been in Korea in a few years. It was uh, Park Geun-hye. Um, I'm not sure if she's still in power or not, but she was not big on like <laughs> foreign teachers. So okay. she cut a bunch of um, public school positions. So. Mm -hmm or just took away funding or whatever for it. So that good job has kind of like dried up and it's actually become uh, quite competitive in many cases to get, to get that job. And I think mostly qualified teachers, like if you're a certified teacher in Canada, then uh, no problem. But if you just have like mm -hmm. a bachelor's of whatever, then it might be pretty tough. Um, but yeah, there's definitely still uh, hogwan jobs out there. Um, yeah, a good number of them. So if you really want to come to Korea and you have a bachelor's degree and you're from kind of one of the big six countries like Canada, US, Australia, England, South Africa, did I miss one? Ireland, I think maybe it was the six. Then you can probably get um, a teaching job in Korea easily enough. Great. Okay. Good to know. Um, and if someone is interested in teaching in Korea, can you tell us a little bit about what life is like or the culture is like there so what can somebody expect maybe not necessarily job wise but just living wise um it's kind of like i had a really good time i loved korean food and like um everyone just like loves going out like eating and drinking and having a really good time like it's mm. kind of like all night people are just partying all night on the <laughs> go downtown and it's like you want to go and eat and drink with your friends just like there'll be somebody who will want to do that with you and it was just really fun like the expats kind of made their own 
uh, community in a lot of ways in places and like, yeah, most places I worked in, I guess, were like Wednesday night board games, Tuesday night bowling, Thursday night pool night. And it was just kind of these like fun ways to meet, to meet people. And I had an eating out in Chonan club and a hiking club in my first city that I lived in. So every couple of weeks we'd go to a different restaurant and there was like kind of a cool group of people uh, that used to come and they ended up becoming most of my friends. And then I also had a hiking club. So I'd organize like trips around Korea and we'd go do that on the weekends. And yeah, I mean, I just always had like people to do things with and I was never lacking for, for entertainment, I guess. <laughs> so many things. Very cool. All that the time. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, transportation was super cheap and it was like super cheap to go out. So um, you could like live like live it up and still save money. Um, not like Japan, which is pretty tough, I think, if you go out to like save money at the end of the month. Korea's Korea's definitely not like that. So you can definitely save money quite easily. And I guess if your rent is covered as well through your employer, then that's great. Yeah, exactly. And I actually at my second um uh, my second university job, I did Airbnb. So I got a free apartment and then I also did Airbnb because I had a spare bedroom and then I had lots of people just from Europe or whatever come stay at my house. And then I actually like made money on my that is <laughs> apartment, which was a great idea. Cool. It was so amazing. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, okay. So I know that you went back. So after teaching for a little while, um, you've been teaching for a couple of years, I think you said you went back yeah. and ended up getting CELTA certified and then later DELTA certified. Yeah. So what led you to that decision? Uh, actually, I had been teaching for, I think, like probably five years or something mm -hmm. uh, when I decided to do the CELTA. And I just, um, I got kind of like stressed out because I had all this experience and it was kind of becoming my career in a lot of ways. But I felt like I didn't have the paper qualifications to kind of back that up. So I guess I was, I wasn't motivated to like, I already had a university job, so I wasn't that motivated to like get the Salta to get a better job because I already had a great job. But mm -hmm. I just thought like if I moved back to Canada or I wanted to move to another country or something like that, then I wanted to have the experience plus the qualification on my yeah. resume for English teaching. So that, yeah, that was my motivation to do that. Okay. And what was your experience on the course like, especially oh. after having taught? <laughs> <laughs> I actually like learned so much. It was it was it was a bit of a struggle because I I think like most people do after they teach for a while, they feel like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm like a pro, I already know what I'm doing. And <laughs> like you're a Celta tutor, so you probably see that <laughs> all the time. People <laughs> think they like no. So I, I tried not to be like that. I tried to be very open minded. So I learned a ton. But mm -hmm. um, the hardest part for me was I lived about an hour south of Seoul and my course was in Seoul three Oh days gosh. Ago. So I organized it with my university to like give me, I think it was like Tuesday and Thursday morning off. And then it was like also Saturday morning. So I would get up at like, I want to say 4.30 in the morning. And then um, <laughs> I would ride my scooter to like the high speed bullet train and then <laughs> pay like $20 to get the bullet train. Oh my gosh. And go to Seoul and I was just like, oh, this is so grueling. So it was like. And that was, I think, for 10 weeks or 12 weeks. Oh, of, wow. Yeah, because you were taking the course part-time. Part-time. Um, I mean, <laughs> I just, I survived on coffee every break. I was like, I'm getting a coffee. <laughs> I'm sure. Like, I so that was the hardest part about it. It wasn't actually like the, 
uh, like doing the assignments or like the practice teaching, I think I did quite well at that, but it was like mm-hmm. the actually like getting up and going. And I think I made it to every class, but one, I was like really sick or something. So I was just like, oh, I can't believe I made it to like all of them. <laughs> all of them. It was kind of you amazing. Did it. But I did it, yeah. I mean, Celta is grueling. Like it's intense without an hour commute each way. I can't even imagine. Oh, um, yeah. When we interview Celta candidates, we often explicitly ask what their commute is going to be like. And if they say anything even close to an hour, we strongly caution them against that. You know, we cool. we start making <laughs> suggestions like, can you rent someplace closer? Like, yeah. have you really thought this through? <laughs> like, you're Thankfully, just so tired. <laughs> my university job was quite plush. I think I was only teaching like nine hours a week or something like that. Okay. So it was kind of like very part-time-ish. So it was actually but yeah. if I was teaching more than that, it would have been like, it would have been terrible, I think. Yeah. So aside from that crazy commute, is there anything you wish that you'd known or done before taking CELTA? Or did you find that having that experience helped? Um, I think I actually honestly didn't find the CELTA that hard. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was like the difference between, I guess, my confidence and like my knowledge of grammar and things the difference between me and say like some of my classmates who'd only taught children for like one year or six months or something was just so it was a different world basically so I'm like sure. the things I was learning in class I was like oh the present perfect and like the past whatever and I just was like oh I just taught this last week and like it was all just kind gotta of help so much and yeah. I just, so I think my advice would be for people who are not solid on grammar I would brush up a little bit, like you probably know it, you know what the present perfect is, it's have or has or whatever, but mm-hmm. you probably don't, you might not know the actual like name that goes along with it. So I would learn the names of the grammar, like the simple past and like just all those things. Because when your tutor is saying it, it's like, if you don't have that just kind of at the top of your head, um, readily accessible, you're going to be like, whoa, what, what's going on? And be right. just feel pretty confused about it. So um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, the course, whether you find it difficult or more challenging or not that challenging, um, a lot of candidates, I think, like you were saying, someone who doesn't have a ton of teaching experience often finds it pretty overwhelming. Um, And it's enough to kind of wrap your head around the teaching part of it without then having to learn all the grammar terminology on top of that. Oh, Um, it's stressful. (laughs) Yeah, but honestly, I didn't like get 100% solid on the grammar until the Delta which was like mm-hmm. way beyond having to study for that test. Oh gosh. <laughs> like, yep. So if you really are serious about teaching, I would totally, is it module one or a yeah. or module, module one? one? Yeah. Module one. It's like, after doing that, I was like, I know more grammar than like 99.99% of the people. In this yes, world. that's it, true. <laughs> it's was, it was, it was actually so helpful. So the Celta was good, but that was like really where I kind of like locked it down. and. Um, actually learned learned English grammar so yes that and so I was pretty solid on the grammar even before Delta but Delta really made me think about things that I had never thought about Um, like language features outside of just the normal grammar terminology but things like I don't know what did we have to do on that exam analyzing genres like what are the features of this genre and what are the what are they called? Like discourse features? Oh, the discourse yeah. oh markings or whatever. Yeah, I just yeah. I tried to get that out of my head after that test. It's like, oh, 
It was so intense, but it was fascinating, but a lot. <laughs> I know I find it comes back actually sometimes when I'm tutoring. Mm-hmm. It's like for like, you know, like especially a certain vocabulary word. I'm like, oh, that actually has a negative connotation. That's why it's weird in this sentence. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> whoa, like I actually know why it's weird instead of just like saying um, that doesn't fit there. Use this word. It's like, so I find that happens all the time. It comes yep. back. Like I actually yes. can explain things way more easily to my students um, than previously. So that's quite helpful. Yes. And it's, I'm hesitating to even bring this up because I'm realizing that I cannot remember the term right now. It's escaping me. But for example, the phenomenon with language where, um, you know, let's say we're both sitting in the same room and I look at you and say, oh, it's a bit chilly in here, right? Like what you understand my meaning to be is please close the window, you know, like that kind of thing where it's like yeah. we use language in this way that's not just linguistic, but also sort of cultural, like these implied meanings. Mm-hmm. And we had to analyze that and that, yeah, so oh. interesting. Yeah, it was. It was, yeah, <laughs> interesting, but tough. At the same right. Time. Things I never knew there was a name for. I know. Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So we're digressing a bit, but that's okay. Yeah. We can geek out about Delta and language learning. Yes. Um, So to shift gears a little bit, so I know that one of your kind of specialties in what you do um, is writing about books, blog posts, and teaching um, interactive activities. So really talking a lot about games for the classroom. Um, So tell us a little bit about that. What would you say are the benefits of using games in the classroom, even for adults? Uh, There's like a ton of um, benefits, I think. Um, Hopefully I'll be able to think, I didn't write a list, but I'll try to like Uh, keep it organized in my head but I think the first benefit is just that it's like a little bit more interesting for the students because if you Mm -hmm. think about the time if you teach adults or university students uh, chances are they've been studying English since they were like I don't know eight or ten years old or something like that yeah that's potentially like 10 or 15 years of using like ESL textbooks with the same topics hobbies weather sports family (laughs) like all the things (laughs) <laughs> those topics that are dead to me that I'm just like ugh, hobbies like again so repetitive it's, like, yep. it's even worse it's even worse for your students because they're the ones that have to engage with it and like study about it oh you're right so it's just like I just kind of keep that in my head I'm like oh this is the same old thing so I try to like if I have a textbook to teach from assigned by my school or whatever I don't throw it out I use the textbook mm-hmm. uh, for at least a little bit of the class and kind of base my grammar or vocabulary on what's in the textbook, but then for kind of the last half of class, I just try to think of something more interesting, something that the students have never done before. Mm-hmm. And the way that gets them like interacting with each other, standing up and moving around, talking to different people, um, something that's like challenging, because any student can like read a reading passage and then answer some comprehension questions. I mean, there's maybe one or two students in your class who might struggle with that, but the majority are just like, ugh, like in their sleep, they can do that, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I like to think of things like, oh, this is going to be a little bit difficult, but you know, it'll be like challenging. It'll be new. And like, I think that's where learning happens actually when you challenge students to kind of push beyond um, just kind of the standard basic things. So yeah, that's the first reason I think. And yeah. Um, another reason is it's just more interesting for me, honestly, like powering through a textbook with a class of students. I mean, it's easy, but it's also like I get bored doing it and I don't like doing it either. Like the students are just like oh, another page, another page. And it's like I feel the kind of the same way. I'm just like, oh, I'm done. I'm done with this book <laughs> already. So it's like I like it better. It's more it's just more fun for me. Mm hmm. 
I'm teaching. And I think that probably is better for my students, obviously, if I'm like more interested and engaged in the lesson uh, that I'm teaching. And um, yeah, and then and the kind of last big reason I can think of is that um, students in Korea, <laughs> university students, they have to take one year of freshman English. So okay. it's just mandated by the government. And so if you could just picture like engineering students or whoever science students, they don't want to be in your class. Right. <laughs> so it's a motivation issue. Yeah. Your English class. So it's like if you just are like, okay, open your textbook, it's like there's gonna be like half the class on their cell phones, half the class will mm -hmm. be sleeping, maybe one student actually cares about English and will pay attention. So I would try to design activities that's like surveys, for example, or like kind of an interactive uh, game or something or like running dictation. So it's like students actually have to get up out of their seats yeah. and move around. So it was just like, I, I just tried to make it easier for them just to stand up and get out of their seat and just like mm -hmm. go to the activity. And it's like, if they're just sitting in their seat and refusing to get up, it's like kind of weird. So I felt like it's just easier to participate. And so I, that was kind of my, my thinking. And I just, it actually was quite effective because it was like everyone would actually get up and do yeah. the activities and not sleep and put down their phones. And like, um, yeah, so I considered my classes, I guess, more successful when, when that kind of thing was happening. And the second we got back to the textbook, it was kind of like the same um, bad results. So with unmotivated students, it's like there's almost no other way, I guess. Definitely. And I, yeah, I think even for students who are motivated, sometimes, you know, like no matter how motivated you are, sometimes you're just going to be dragging a little bit. Um, if it's a long class or if it's right after lunch or you're just a little tired that day, like it's really nice to have an excuse to get up and move around and kind of feel like you're actively participating more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm all about student-centered teaching. So mm -hmm. like all about it. Um, so I think just like anytime I can like set up an activity that maybe like will take two minutes for me to explain it and do an example and then students are interacting and talking with each other for like 30 or 40 minutes I just think yeah. I've done a, I've done good work here <laughs> this is like yes. what, <laughs> this is what my English class should be and then I just like you know so monitor true. and give feedback and I'm like you're doing great keep it up and then like bring the class back together at the end and then you know like some group share what they talked about or whatever, something like that. So that was just kind of my goal to like, for me to talk less and almost yeah. not at all. If I talk, right. almost, did almost nothing. I just was like, yes, I've done, I've done some good teaching here. So yes, such a good point. And I know that for anybody who's been listening to the podcast for a long time or um, a long time, I mean, we've done like 20 something episodes but, <laughs> um, for that long, or who's been a um, Celta candidate of mine or of Lauren's. I know they're sick of hearing us say this, but um, student centered teaching is so important. So I love that you brought that up. Oh, um, yeah, my Celta teacher or tutor, actually, um, he I, I did this lesson and I, I, I thought it was quite good. I had this activity and it was just like, but I did kind of the presentation. What, yes. what is it? Presentation, practice. Production. Production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I did the presentation and I just was like at the chalkboard, just like doing it. <laughs> I was just mm -hmm. like, oh, that was so great. And then he's like, you know, that was so teacher centered, that first part of your lesson. And I was like, oh okay so right. then it's like next time can you do like a self-discovery worksheet and I was like oh yeah. I guess I could <laughs> I did it and I was like I have I've never gone back mm -hmm. and yeah I just kind of changed my way of of thinking and um 
yeah. So I'm really thankful actually that he said that to me instead of just letting, letting it slide and thinking, oh, good enough. But he actually like pointed that out. And yeah, so that's kind of my, I don't know. It's just how I plan lessons and how I just try mm-hmm. to think about, think about teaching. I shouldn't be doing the hard work. My students should be. I'm really good at English and I don't need extra practice. So Exactly. And isn't that funny that it almost does kind of feel, I think, to teachers like cheating at first? Like, oh, well, if mm-hmm. I'm not standing up in front of the class telling them stuff, then I'm not doing my job. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's moving away from that and thinking like, no, your job is to get the students using language. So you're basically just setting up the activity and then getting out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's always my goal. And then I think, yeah, games and activities kind of, help me get there, can help you get there in kind of a way, I guess an easier way than just powering through a textbook, which is kind of Mm -hmm. like students read something, they do answers, you check answers, students listen to something, they do answers, you check answers. It's just kind of like, it's too much teacher, I think, Mm -hmm. going on in in typical textbook lessons. So do you have a favorite game or something that you can give us as an example of one that you use often? Uh, Sure, I'm all about surveys. I just Mm -hmm. love them. I think it's my all-time favorite activity so you can use them for like a ton of things like uh, the present perfect like have you ever questions or like simple past or actually present perfect and simple past together mm-hmm. oh yeah so that makes can, sense so like a student can say like have you ever been to another country and then you have to find someone that says yes I have so yes I have and then they write down the other student's name who said yes then they think of a question in the simple past like where did you go Right. And that's when say, I, went, I, I, I went to Thailand and then they write right. Thailand. So they have to find someone who says yes to like a whole um, list of questions. And then they have to, I always go a little bit beyond and make them ask one follow-up question, mm-hmm. a W question or an H question. So in this case, it would be the simple past. So um, yeah, I would probably use them about once a month. And it was often my um, icebreaker activity too. So it'd be like find someone who's from Busan and find someone who has one brother or I don't know, find someone who's in second year or something like that. So great. Yes. Um, I love that that activity contains what we call a communicative goal. So it's not just like turn to your partner and talk about where you've traveled, but actually the students have this goal of filling out the survey and getting all of this information from their classmates. And so I think it really motivates them to keep moving. Like now they have a reason to talk to each other, which is so great. Oh, that's my like... That like besides student-centered teaching, that's my like mm-hmm. other kind of, I guess, teaching mantra or whatever I think in my head all the time. Why do students need to talk to each other? Yeah, It's like, I want brilliant. to give them a reason. Exactly. To get up out of their seats to go do the activity instead of just like, talk about this for two minutes. It's exactly. Like, like, why? Why? Why bother? I don't like, a student, I think a lot of students just think, ugh, just like filling time. But it's like, if they have a goal and they're like, I want to get 10 different people filled out on this survey okay right. go and then they're like people are actually like excited about it and it's like they want to get it done and they're like teacher I'm done and they're like so excited to show me and so that's just what I want to see in my class like people excited about about doing things basically and speaking English so exactly and then at the end of the survey they have this real information that they've found that they can report back so then they have further motivation even to engage you know with you to share to the class like look I got all this information that not everybody else got because I asked you know, different questions or my own questions or whatever. It's just a really cool way to personalize things. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. For sure. Um, Great. Okay. So I know that some of the books you've published are specifically on ESL games and speaking activities for the classroom. Mm -hmm. 
how do you get your inspiration or ideas for those? Is it through lessons you've observed um, from your own reading and research, just from things you've tried out in your classroom? Um, well, for a lot of those books, I had a co-author. So okay. um, we just basically, she taught um, like elementary school students, I guess. And she also did teacher training and she had, um, I taught for, or taught for like over 10 years and she had taught for 15 years or something. So we had 25 combined years of experience in the classroom. So all the stuff in our books uh, is stuff that we've personally tried. Um, mm -hmm. I've taught, yeah, like a whole bunch of different classes from beginner to advanced and kids and like writing and presentations and public speaking and like current events, just any class out there, I've kind of taught it. So um, yeah, we just kind of got inspiration from our own, our own classes. And I went back through a lot of my lesson plans and just kind of saw what I had done. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was actually not super difficult, I guess, to like find the activities. I just had a lot of them. Yeah, just kind of in my head already. It was like I was so familiar yeah. with these things that I used all the time in my own classes. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think I've noticed this about myself, at least as well, the more familiar you get with the grammar and kind of thinking, you know, okay, I want the students, for example, to practice the present perfect and the simple past. Like, mm -hmm. what in what context do those tenses normally come up? And then like knowing that, like how can I sort of create that context in the classroom so that students have to use that grammar, um, mm -hmm. but in some sort of authentic way. So mm -hmm. yeah, it makes sense. The more you, the more you sort of teach and get used to that stuff, it's, things just kind of come to you. Yeah, most definitely. And I've always like, I guess even from when I first, my first year of teaching, um, when, when I came across like a good idea, um, in a teacher's manual, or I used to listen to a few podcasts. One was ESL Education. They're not publishing podcasts anymore, but they always had like a game of the week or whatever. Oh, fun. And they were always like super good. And I just was like, oh, yes. And I would like actually try it in my class. So even for my early days of teaching, I like would keep a list of things that I liked. And I just like slipped it in the back of my attendance folder. And mm -hmm. I would just pull it out when I was lesson planning or like if just if I was like oh shoot my class like my lesson plan is done and I still have 20 minutes I would like yeah. oh no and I would just look at my sheet and think like oh what can I do so um, when I started to write um, some books about like ESL teaching activities I feel like I, I just pulled out that list and I was like oh I have I have all these ideas already that I've like mm -hmm. used in my own classes so yeah. So moving forward a little bit, um, so you've actually created a couple of Facebook groups that have how many members now? I don't know if you have a number off the top of your head, but they're huge. I'll look it up. So one is called English Teachers Abroad, mm -hmm. and there's 45,000 people. Okay. And then, oh, what is the other one? Oh, no. Okay. I think, oh, it's called Resources. There's a few different ones. Just a sec. Embarrassing. I don't know the name. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Oh, oh no, here we go. Oh no, wait. Okay, it's called <laughs> Resources for ESL slash EFL teachers. Okay. And we're almost at 10,000 members, just just under. Okay, wow. So kind of people. Yeah, so I'm assuming you started those probably a while back if you've gathered that many members by now. Um did you start them just as a way to connect teachers or to market your books or kind of what was the inspiration for those? Um, I just like, I really love Facebook groups is like mm -hmm. a source of just kind of information. It's just like, if I need to know something, 
my first place I go to is Facebook, like my own personal wall or like a group or just whatever. So it's like I wanted those two groups to kind of be a resource for for English teachers. So one is like activities and games and then the other one just for like general English teaching. And it's like, yeah, I just wanted to like help people and connect with people. And um, I used to interact a lot more in those groups when they were smaller and um, now they've gotten so big, it's a little bit (laughs) tougher for me to like personally respond um, to kind of questions and stuff. But I find there's actually enough people in the groups now that I don't have to respond. There's like, you know, 30 other people that will answer a question, which is right. Which is kind of amazing. And I just I feel like I just created this thing and then now I just feel like, yes, like other people are kind of taking it on. But I still check in with the groups every once in a while and interact with a few people. But um yeah, I'm just busy and don't have time for for daily interaction on that. But um yeah, I still keep an eye on it, of course. And I actually personally approve all the all the posts in those two groups. Mm-hmm. Um and I try to keep them like very related to to English teaching and then English teaching activities. So it's kind of like a curated, I guess, best of best of the internet in, in some ways. Yeah, and it's great that it has become its own community. So now even if you don't have time to keep up with every post, like you said, you know, people are answering each other's questions and it's kind of taken on this life of its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's a really cool thing. I just, I find that every question basically gets answered in, mm-hmm. in a helpful way. So that's, yeah, that's, that's all I hope for. Actually, yeah, such a good resource. Um, so do you have a favorite thing about the ELT industry? Um, I think it's like you can go anywhere, basically. Mm-hmm. So I think there's like not a ton of other jobs for someone with like a bachelor's degree where you can just go get a decent paying job anywhere in the world. And yeah. Um, yeah, I stayed in Korea my whole my whole time, but um, I certainly met a lot of other people who uh, would come, you know, stay in a country for two years and then go to another country or they'd been teaching in like three or four different countries and then ended up in Korea or, um, yeah, so I just think that the world is kind of open to you and just whatever you want to make it and how adventurous you are. And um, I think for me, I just didn't leave Korea because I had such a good job. I just was like, oh, starting over at the bottom in another country right. when I have one of the best teaching jobs in the world. I just was like, oh, I don't think I can do it. But um, yeah, I certainly would have if I had not gotten university jobs, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great, too. I think there is the possibility of being able to go from place to place and, you know, year year to year experience all of these different countries and cultures. But at the same time, if you find a situation that you like in a place that you like, you also have that freedom to just stay there. Yeah. I mean, I could have stayed in Korea for so many more years, but I just felt like I just wanted to come um, to Canada before I was 40 and just kind of like make, Mm -hmm. make, make a life here. And I just, I just thought it would be way harder coming when I was like 50 or Yep. 60 and starting kind of over at nothing I just was kind of a little bit terrified of that so that's why I left it wasn't because I didn't like career I didn't like teaching mm-hmm. it was just like um, the thought of doing what I did uh, four years ago when I was 40 or 50 or 60 <laughs> just like yeah oh I thought absolutely not that's a terrible idea so and even moving back to a native speaking country again you know, your work in the ELT field doesn't have to stop. Like you've still 
managed to make this a career, even though you're no longer living abroad, which is really yeah, cool. Yeah, it was super interesting. I just, I didn't actually teach for, I guess, about three years. Um, I just was, I think I just needed a break from it. And then I've just met some people um, just kind of through my tennis. There's someone on my tennis team who owns an English academy <laughs> catering to Chinese <laughs> students. And she's like, please come teach for me. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and from Busan, Korea is here now in my city. And her niece needed a tutor. And I was like, oh, Amazing. okay. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, it's just kind of happened. And I'm kind of back into it now. and really happy about it, actually. But there's also, yeah, there's so much work in your yes. country too depending on where you live I live in Vancouver so there's a ton of work here but um, in most places you can definitely find some tutoring or something like that mm -hmm. is there anything you don't love about this ELT industry um, I think it's probably how um, teachers can get ripped off okay easily um, like in my, my just experience is kind of I guess a little bit jaded with Korean hogwans and I mean, they're just so sketchy. And I think like some hogwan owners think, oh, the stupid foreigner doesn't know mm -hmm. anything about anything and is very naive and trusting. And so I just, I guess I don't like how teachers can get taken advantage of really. Yeah. And it's like these young people with their first job at a university and um, they're excited. And then it's like ends up becoming kind of like a nightmarish year. And it's like when I meet people going through that experience, I just feel like, oh, it's like just so bad. I just like my heart goes out to them, I guess. And yeah, I, don't, I, I almost don't even know what to say to them except like, oh, yeah. just go back to your own country. It's like so bad, you know? Right. I mean, I guess that's the beauty of, of the industry is that you can just, you know, there's this romanticism of just you can find a job and buy a plane ticket and take off and start over. But then the downside of that is you, you do want to make sure you know what you're getting yourself into mm -hmm. and that it's a legitimate situation. and. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely. So travel-wise, even if it's somewhere that you haven't lived or haven't taught, do you have a favorite travel destination? Oh, um, I went to so many places during my time in Korea. Um, I think like in Asia, probably a couple of my favorite places. One of them was Hong Kong. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I loved it. It was like, I just thought it was going to be like a big city, but actually there's a whole bunch of like wilderness, like hiking and then like beaches. And um, it's kind of an interesting mix of like Western culture and Eastern culture all in one place. And um, I think I stayed for about a week, but I feel like mm -hmm. I could have stayed forever actually <laughs> and been quite happy in Hong Kong. So that, so that was kind of like very like modern and um, I also love Laos was another amazing place. Okay. It's more like rural and, but it was just so peaceful and on the Mekong river and um, the food was great and the people were so nice. And I don't know, I guess it's like on the tourist track, but it's a little bit like different than Thailand um, just in terms of like, it's not so touristy. So um, at least that was back then I went, I don't know, like 15 years ago or something. So it's a long time ago, but maybe different now so uh, I don't know and then yeah Thailand I think I went back to Thailand maybe seven or eight times I want to say during my time okay so you liked I, it <laughs> I, lived there. I lived there for like a couple months during my vacations twice actually oh very cool and, um yeah I couldn't get enough of Thailand for sure and just like loved it all the things food and culture and just diving and 
yeah, so many things. So yeah, those are my favorite places in, in Asia for sure. I'm going to have to make it to Asia one of these days. I have still never been, which I'm oh, very no. to admit. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just like teaching in Korea, it's just like the obvious place that people go <laughs> vacations. So it was just kind of like, where are we going this vacation? And then when I was in Korea, Air Asia started flying to um, Busan, where I lived. And then um, also Seoul, I think they had flights from Seoul. So when AirAsia came, everyone was just like, oh my God, yes, 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 yes. Because it was like, you could fly to um, KL in Malaysia, um, mm-hmm. Korea for basically like $200 or something oh, wow. super cheap. And then from KL, you know, it's just like, you can go anywhere, anywhere yeah. in Asia. And it was just so amazing. So yeah, I took advantage of that <laughs> like quite a number of times. That's so year. great. Yeah. Very, very cool. So if someone would like to learn a little bit more about you, so if they want to check out your books, if they want to check out your Facebook groups, or the other resources that you offer, because I know you have at least one website as well, right? Yes. Um, where can they find you or how can they get in touch? Uh, sure. So there's, um, you can look on Amazon, all my books are on Amazon. So just search for Jackie Bolin. So J-A-C-K-I-E and B-O-L-E-N. And then you should be able to find them. Uh, really easily there. And then um, I have two websites that your listeners might be interested in. So sure. uh, the first one is eslspeaking.org. And that's mostly focused on like speaking um, activities and games. And then I have eslactivity.org. And that's kind of like reading, writing, um, listening for skills kind of activities. So everything that's right. not uh, not speaking. So yeah. And I think there's like a ton of games and um, activities and that kind of thing and so you kind of check that out and then if you kind of like what you see um usually like i'll explain an activity and then i'll say hey did you like this activity if yes check out this book and then it'll be like kind of a related book so yeah check out those websites first and check out some activities and then see if you kind of like my format and style of how i explain it and yeah Perfect. Thanks. Always great to know a place to go where you can just find some fun activities that you can use in the classroom right away. Um, so if you need to supplement your lessons, if you need, you know, a fun warm up, like a 10 minute extra thing at the end, some grammar practice, that's great. Yes. I try to make my website super uh, user friendly in terms of like navigation. And it's like, um, if you want to find like ESL activity, for example, it's divided by like reading, listening, Perfect. writing warm-up so it's like it, it should be I hope super easy just for people to find find what they're looking for in just like a minute or two and then you can like read it and then have something to take with you and use in your classes so that's kind of my goal for for people um when I designed those websites that is great uh, well thank you so much for your time it was great to talk to you about Korea about games um about the industry in general I really appreciate it Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. My pleasure. We'll have to do it again sometime. Okay, yeah, thank you. All right, bye, Jackie. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at teflhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.